Good morning. All right. It's good to see you guys out here this morning. And if you, if you don't recognize me, it's been a long time since I've been in first service. My name is Pastor Chad, and I'm the teaching pastor here. And normally during first service, I'm teaching a class. Currently, we're going through the book Mere Christianity. And so it's good to actually be here with you guys in first service. So I thought I would introduce myself that way so you guys know I am, especially after the really loud cheer when Josh said during announcements Pastor Chad was going to be preaching. Was, it's all right. It's 8.30 service. It's early. So I, it's understandable. But we are going to continue our service, sermon series on praying like Jesus. All right, we're, we're going through the Lord's Prayer, um, and we've been going through the beginning of this year. If you remember at the very beginning, uh, Alex preached to us about the Lord's Prayer when he prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then since then, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And so we're going to continue this series this morning going through prayer. And if you are like me, sometimes prayer is one of the hardest things to continually do. I go through periods of prayer, but to, and, I, and I read my Bible every day, and I pray every day, but as far as extended periods of seeking the Lord is something I continually need to grow in. And so my prayer this morning is that as we continue to look at this, that the Lord would just challenge and change our hearts in this attitude of prayer and just in the attitudes of our hearts. So I'm going to pray this morning, and then we are going to be in Matthew 6, and we're going to cover verses 13 through 15. Matthew chapter 6, verses 13 through 15. So I will pray as we begin this morning. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, just thank you for your grace. Thank you for the time that we were able to sing together about your mercy. Lord, just in meditating on this passage, reminded of how much we need your mercy. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, that your word would be clear and that you would change us for your honor and glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are, as we said, continuing our study of prayer. And the, I'm going to read the verses that we are going to look over this morning. Verse 13, it says, And lead us not in tempta- into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so this is the end here of this, this prayer that we've been studying through. And this morning, I just want to look through these verses with you and just kind of share what God has impacted my heart with as I've been studying through this. And I just want to look at two attitudes that we need to have when we are praying. And the first is just an attitude of humility. The attitude of humility, and we see in this first verse that we're, that we're covering, the end of this prayer, it says, and lead us not into, into sorry, it's harder for me to say here at 8.30 this, this morning, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it is a plea to God to help us withstand temptation. And so when we first look at this verse, 
the word temptation here is, it is often used as, it wasn't a negative term, right? When we hear the word temptation today, we think of something, an, in, an incitement to do something wrong, right? We're, no, we're not normally, when we hear, hear the word temptation, we don't normally think, I wonder if he was tempted to do something good, right? Anytime we hear the word temptation in our mindset, in our context, it is to do something wrong, something that we should not do. But in that time, it was used of temptation and of trials. And so we see Jesus telling us to ask God not to lead us into temptation. And if you read that right away, like maybe like me, your first thought was, so if I don't pray, is God going to lead me into temptation? Like, is that what he's normally planning to do? Is he sitting up there waiting for me saying, ooh, I wonder if Chad didn't pray that today because if he didn't, I'm definitely leading him into temptation. All right, no, that is not what it is saying, okay? And that is not anywhere close to it because if you've read the book of James, you know that it says in James 1.13 that God, there is no evil within God. He cannot be tempted by evil and he tempts no one with evil. So God does not tempt us. He may lead us into trials. He may lead us into things where our faith is tested, but he will never seek to cause us to do wrong. He will not tempt us. And so this prayer is more following through, even as we looked at when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, is he's asking for strength to endure temptation or that the Lord would lead us in the paths that we should follow. And you see that often throughout the Psalms, that the, the psalmist is asking God to lead us in the way we should go. And so why do we need to ask God to help us in that way? Because which way are we prone to go in our own nature? We are prone to go towards sin, right? Because if you continue to read through the book of James, after it says that God doesn't tempt anyone with evil, what does it say right after that? It says that we are tempted and drawn away towards evil because of our own evil desires within our heart. We are already prone to go towards temptation. We are already prone to go towards sin. And so this prayer is to ask God to give us the strength to help us to endure those things. And the reason we need an attitude of humility is because when we don't pray about these things, more or less what we are telling God is that I can handle this on my own. Right? I don't need your help. I will do it. But we need an attitude of humility because left to our own, if we would really reflect on our own hearts, we know the evil and the sin that reside there. And we know our tendency to fall into temptation and to sin. But our nature is to try and do things on our own, right? Do we agree that that is what we normally try and do? And that, that doesn't have to be taught to us. Right, that happens even at a young age. And for me, I was trying to think through, you know, I was searching really hard to find examples in my own life where I tried to do things on my own. It was really hard. Um, it wasn't, all right? That was a little sarcasm, sorry. It's a little early in the morning, I understand. I have plenty of examples, but I chose when I was 10 years old, right? I, I have struggled with this since I was 10, but when I was 10, I broke my leg. I broke my femur, all right? And when you break a leg and you break a a femur, you can't do much on your own, all right? I had a cast, like a half-body cast. It was not a fun way to spend a summer, all right? So I was often in a wheelchair or in a hospital bed. That's where I spent most of the summer, wheelchair or hospital bed. Luckily, we lived close enough to the church that 
that we could, my dad could walk me in the wheelchair to church because it was summer. It was nice out. But even at that age, I was getting kind of tired of everybody having to push me around. I couldn't really wheel myself around because I had to kind of be reclined. I could do it a little bit. But I remember one Sunday evening after church, thinking, you know what, I can do stuff on my own. We only live a few blocks from church. And everybody was standing around talking after church. And so I had decided on the backside of church, I was going to wheel myself home because I could do it. All right. And that's, you know, good plans come from 10 year old brains. I can do this. My only issue was getting from the curb to the street. Because back in Carolina, they didn't have the nice handicap accessible sidewalk exits. All right. It was straight curb down onto the street. And I was like, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. All right. And so I start wheeling this, slow down, go back and forth, finally make up my mind. I got this. I'm going to do it. And I wheel off the curb. (laughs) Didn't do it well. All right. No practice. One wheel goes off the curb and it flips my wheelchair, which then flips me into the street. And I am laying face down in the street with a body cast unable to move. All right. And so me, in my wisdom, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. Ended up, thankfully I had like shorts on and good stuff like that. Ended up face first in the street. And then the neighbors come running out of their house. They're like, oh no, some kid got hit in a wheelchair. He's in the street. It's like, no, I was just trying to go home. And then everybody came out. And so needless to say, in trying to do it on my own, I did not get very far and I made a bigger fool of myself. But sometimes we treat our sin this way, that we can handle it on our own. We don't really need God. We only need God when it's really hard. No, we need God each and every day to help us not fall into temptation because we are prone to do it. We go that way on our own and we don't, we need to continually remind ourselves of this truth. And we need to pray, asking God to help us avoid those things because when we don't, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And then after that, he says, but deliver us from evil. And again, admitting that we need help to be delivered from evil. And some of your Bibles may say the evil one. And it is, there's commentators on both sides, whether this is talking about just general deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one who might be Satan. In the end, the plea and the heart behind it is the same. Because we know, even as it says in, in 1 John 5.19, that Satan is the ruler of this present age. First, first John lets us know that he is the ruler of this present age. And therefore, when we are praying to be kept from evil or the evil one, whether we are dealing specifically with Satan or just his schemes and his plans, we need help to be delivered from evil. All right, we cannot do it on our own. And just as Jesus prayed for us or prayed for the disciples in the, in the garden and the high priestly prayer, he prayed not that, Jesus, or not that God would take us out of the world, but that he would keep us from the evil one or from evil. And we need an attitude of humility because we have sin within us. We are prone to sin. If we are honest with ourselves and you know, this, the reflection on this passage this week is extremely humbling because we all have a lot of sin. I have a lot of sin within my own heart. 
And too often we try and pretend that we don't. But we need to humbly admit that we do struggle with sin. We don't need to pretend that somehow we have everything under control and that we are not sinners by nature. And if you have questions about that, you can read through Romans 6 through 8. Because Jesus died on the cross so we could have victory over sin. But that victory over sin doesn't mean that we don't struggle with sin on a daily basis. Romans 7, Paul deals with that repeatedly, that he has those desires and they war against each other. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit versus the fruit of the flesh. It is a constant, ongoing battle. And it has been ever since the fall. In Genesis, when you read about Cain and Abel, what did God say to Cain? He said, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to rule over you. Right? We are not facing an enemy of evil that is just sitting back, just biding its time. Sin is actively seeking to destroy us. It is actively seeking to cause destruction and pain. And too often we treat it as if it's just, it'll bother me if I bother it. No, sin is always looking to cause us to stumble and fall. And so we need an attitude of humility and prayer, asking God to help us. Because if we don't, we are setting ourselves up to stumble and to fall. We don't need to ask for help the things that we don't need help with. God is, Jesus is giving us a pattern to pray because he knows our hearts. He knows our frailty. He knows our weakness. And so he is giving us a pattern of prayer that we need to look to God to help. And so we see this attitude of humility that must be present because otherwise we will, we will fall, we will stumble. And, and that is, as we read through it here in, in our version, that is the end of the prayer. Some of yours has the end of the verse probably says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Which probably if you memorize it, you memorize that part, right? You may have memorized it with King James wording. And this morning, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it because that is not in most manuscripts. If you have the ESV, you don't see it in there. And it's not because it's not true. It's not because it's not important. It just likely wasn't in the original manuscript. That doesn't mean that it is true, right? I mean, God's is, his kingdom is forever. Um, the power and dominion are his. But because of time restraints, and I don't get to preach for an hour and a half, we're just going to move on to the next few verses, all right? So the next verse is, we, we're going to talk again about forgiveness, all right? And, and didn't, right, if you were here last week, Pastor Josh just preached on forgiveness. Did he not? If forgive, the verse right above says, also forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So you look at this next couple of verses that we need, if in prayer, we need to have an attitude of forgiveness. And this is vital and crucial. This is, right, I mean, this is the only part of the prayer that God, that Jesus decided that he needed to explain a little further, that he needed to drive a point home. And there was an author, Sam Storms, he said, uh, said something similar to the fact that Satan gains the most ground in a Christian's life through unforgiveness. That is how he gains his most, his most, ah, sorry, man, it's 8.30 service, I'm struggling this morning. Satan gains his ground in our lives through unforgiveness. 
And so forgiveness is a huge part of this prayer and a huge part of Christian life. And so this is why it's mentioned six times in this short passage about prayer. We need an attitude of forgiveness. And as we go through it, remember last week, Pastor Josh said specifically that we do not forgive so that God will forgive us. And then you read these verses and you're like, wait, isn't that what it's saying? Doesn't it say, you better forgive others and God will forgive you. And if you don't forgive others, then God's not forgiving you. No, it's not what it's saying. It's talking about our heart, the heart of forgiveness. Do you have a heart of forgiveness towards others? And so as we look at this, we need to start to think through what is our standard of forgiveness, right? As we read, as we even went through the book, Mere Christianity, um, C.S. Lewis has a quote about forgiveness. And he says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, right? It is great to talk about other people forgiving other people, to see other people's stories of forgiveness, it's not so lovely and like cheerful to hear about when you are the one who actually needs to forgive someone else. That's when it becomes hard. And Lewis wrote this, or he gave these speeches during World War II. All right, so he wasn't speaking of forgiveness in a time that was just easygoing. He was talking about this facing and seeing the evils of World War II. And he said, forgiveness, he says, you know, he's like, I didn't make this up. Forgiveness is a part of Christian life. And if you are not willing to forgive others, then God is not willing to forgive you. And what he was saying, he said, this is part of Christianity and I can't lie and I can't make this up. What he was saying is if in your heart you can't find the ability to forgive other people, then you need to examine your heart to see if you have actually experienced God's forgiveness in your own life. Because to say that you cannot forgive is not following what Christ laid before us. And so as we look at what, is it, what does it mean, right? What does it mean to forgive other people? And sometimes we get some misnomers about forgiveness. You've often, probably often heard forgive and forget, right? And things like that. It's not, right? It's not humanly possible to forget things that have happened to you. All right. Now I understand the idea of forgive and forget, like you're trying to forget maybe what people have done, but you cannot forget those things. And so it doesn't mean that. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable for their actions. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there are no more consequences for what you have done. And, and there was a man in our church this morning, he said, well, I just heard something about forgiveness this morning. And he talked about the Nuremberg trials, how they tried those people, of the, the Nazi people who were um, you know, involved in the Holocaust and so many horrible things. And during the trial, this part of the trial they heard, the 21 people out of the 21 Nazis that were tried, 11 of them, he said, according to this account, again, I don't have it back, but according to this account, 11 of them confessed their sins before they were executed. And how hard it was for people to try and forgive them. Their forgiveness did not forgive their consequences. 
but they could still be forgiven by Christ for what they had done. It didn't change what they did. It didn't change the accidents. It didn't change the consequences. But there is still forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we treat people like they, or it doesn't mean that we make it easy for people to continue to do the same thing over and over again. It doesn't mean that we've completely turned a blind eye to what they have done. And even as we talk through mere Christianity, one of the things that stood out to some of the people in the book is just because we forgive people doesn't all of a sudden make that person a nice person. Doesn't necessarily make them a good person. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you necessarily like them like you like all your other friends, but you have forgiven them. And again, the standard for forgiveness, right? If, if we look for, the Bible has much to say on forgiveness. But verses and a verse that was shared even, even last week, Ephesians 4, 32 says, be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ Jesus forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says the same thing, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You notice in those verses, it doesn't say forgive others when they are worthy of your forgiveness. It doesn't say forgive people when they have done enough to make up for how much harm they've caused you. It doesn't say forgive people if you determine that their apology was genuine. It says forgive them as I forgave you. Forgive them as God has forgiven you. All right, it's just like when Jesus said, you've heard a lot that you should love one another I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? This raises it to another level. We are to forgive other people as God forgave us. And how did he forgive us? Fully and completely. And so we are to forgive others in the same way. Does this make it easy? No. But maybe this is why we get reminded about forgiveness right off the fact that we just were reminded of how much we are prone to sin and to make mistakes. Because when we look at someone else and say, you know what, I, I can't forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you. Whether you verbalize it or not, what you are saying is that your offense against me is greater than any of my offenses against God. God forgave me of all my sin but I can't find it in my heart to forgive you for the thing that you did against me. Is there anything more unchristlike than to do that? What did Christ say when he went to the cross? Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Who am I to say that I cannot forgive someone else when Jesus has willingly forgiven me, not of just one or two things that I have done, contrary to him and to God's will, he has forgiven me all of them for all time. It is not right to hold on to sin and hurt against other people. Again, that doesn't mean that there isn't consequence. That doesn't mean that we treat them as if nothing ever happened and that there aren't things that need to be worked through. But we do need 
to let go of our desire for revenge and our desire to make things right. Because when we refuse to forgive, we are so much focused on ourselves, and we are no longer focused on Jesus Christ. We are focused on what has happened to me and my supposed rights as we, more than we are focused on what God has done for us. And so this morning, just I pray that God continues to work that truth into our life. And I wish, right, as one guy put it, he said, forgiveness is rarely a one-time or climactic event. It is ongoing. You don't just decide once. You may forgive somebody of a horrible thing that they have done to you. And I wish, like everybody else probably wish, that once I make that decision that it just goes away and I don't struggle with it again. But it will continue to come back and we have to continue to forgive and to continue to give it over to Jesus Christ. And C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, in other words, something inside us, this feeling of resentment, the feeling that wants to get one's own back, must simply be killed. I do not mean that anyone at any moment can decide this moment that he will never feel it anymore. That is not how things happen. I mean that every time it bobs its head up, day after day, year after year, all our lives long, we must hit it on the head. It is hard work, but the attempt is not impossible. Again, the reason we can forgive is not because we are better people than the people we are forgiving. Because that's another thing that we sometimes think. We can't forget, I don't forgive other people because somehow I am above them and they're below me and therefore I can forgive their offense against me. No. If I forgive people, I forgive people because I recognize my own sinfulness and the, my lack of work before God and that the only reason I am forgiven is because God had mercy on me. Therefore, because I am such a great sinner against the holy God, therefore I can forgive other people because what they have done to me is far less than what I've done against God. And if you want more, you can read through Matthew 18, right? We don't have time to go through Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And that's when, right, when Peter came up and said, hey, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? Should I go all the way up to like seven times, right? They're thinking he was being very spiritual. And that's when Jesus said, no, I say 70 times seven. And then he gives the parable of the unforgiving servant, the servant who was forgiven a lifetime's wages worth of debt more than he could pay back in a lifetime. And then that servant turned right around and threw a fellow servant into jail for not paying him less than a day, like a day's wages. And when we choose to not forgive others, we are just like that unforgiving servant. And so when you choose that you aren't going to forgive, you are breaking fellowship with God. Right? You are ruining or putting stumbling blocks in your relationship, it is not going to be a great relationship because you are holding on to bitterness. And bitterness is a lack of faith. All right? Because sometimes when we don't want to forgive, we look at people like, well, they haven't suffered enough. They haven't hurt enough. They can't be forgiven. That's not up to us to decide. Up to us, as you read through Romans 12, it's another great passage, but as much as it is up to us, we are to live at peace with other people. We are to forgive 
and to let peace reign in our lives. And so as we, as we do those things, one last thing as we, as we talk about forgiveness, the other one thing that can come up sometimes, and especially for people that are wired like me, forgiving other people does not mean tolerating sin. Right? It doesn't mean acting like sin is still not serious. And sometimes that's me as more of a person who likes to give grace or wired that way. That doesn't mean that I can not confront sin. That doesn't mean that those things don't need to be talked through. We are not to tolerate sin, but we are to confront it and then forgive others who seek forgiveness. And we are be, to be ready to forgive even if people don't ask for forgiveness. And as we think through this, as we take some time even here, um, as we're going to communion, this is just the perfect thing to meditate on. And even in Matthew 26, as we think through applying these things to our lives, when Jesus was sitting at the table with his disciples in Matthew 26, and when he was sharing the Lord's Supper with them, he said in Matthew 26, 28, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He poured out his blood on the cross to forgive our sins. And so this morning, as you think through this passage, as you think through the prayer and the attitudes of prayer, I would just ask, how are you doing with prayer? Are you seeking God's help to avoid temptation and to avoid evil, to avoid sin? But most importantly, how are you doing with forgiveness? Have you been forgiven? If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know God's forgiveness of your sin, God sent his son to this earth to shed his blood as we just read, so that when you place your faith in him, all of your sins can be forgiven. Every one. And that you can spend eternal life in right relationship with God. He offers that because of his love towards us. And if you have not experienced that, then I would plead with you to talk to one of the pastors, to talk to one of the people who brought you. Today is the day of salvation. And if you have been forgiven by Christ, how are you doing in forgiving other people? Are you forgiving those around you? And if not, why aren't you? And to examine your heart to see what God would have you to do and to soften your heart towards other people, to not hold on to pain or to hurt, but to give it over to God and to forgive others as he has forgiven you. And so I'm going to, to pray and you'll have a few you have about eight to ten minutes to just pray and contemplate. Um, in the back, we have the communion elements. And just, it's a great time to pray and confess sin to Christ. To seek his forgiveness for the things that we have done against him. And to make sure that our life is ready in right relationship with him so that we may participate in communion and just commit, think on what he has done for us. So I pray you can take that time and once you are ready, you can go back and take the elements and then when everyone is ready, we'll come back up and, and participate in communion together. Father, thank you for your word.
Father, I just pray this morning that you would work in our hearts. Lord, as you reveal the pride and the sin, Lord, within our own hearts, Lord, that we would just lean on your mercy and grace. And Father, that we would forgive one another as you have forgiven us. Lord, we don't deserve your forgiveness, but you have given it to us out of your mercy and grace. So this morning, if there be anybody that doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to know you this morning. And Father, for those of us who do know you, Lord, may you just continue to soften our hearts. Lord, to to be forgiving and to be loving as you have been towards us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.